Welcome to Raise the Line with Osmosis.org, seeking solutions with leading experts on how to increase healthcare capacity so people can get the care they need during the COVID-19 crisis and beyond. Hi, I'm Steve Vilani, and today on Raise the Line, I'm really happy to be joined by Aaron Bali, who's the co-founder and CEO of Carbon Health. We were actually introduced not because of Carbon Health, but by Rob Hutter at Learn Capital, because Aaron also is the co-founder of Udemy, which is a household name by now, but in case you haven't heard about it, it's helped over 40 million learners upskill. We're here to talk to Aaron about Carbon Health and how they're revolutionizing primary care. And I've had the great fortune to get to know Aaron over the past few months in both the context of Udemy and Carbon. So Aaron, thanks for taking the time to be with us today. Thank you for inviting me, Chef. I was looking forward to joining your podcast. Awesome. So can you tell us a bit more about your background, how you got into first starting Udemy and then also starting Carbon Health? And I know also you, you hail from Turkey, so we'd love to hear and give our audience a sense of how you've been so prolific with your uh, startups. Of course. So I grew up with a lot of passion for education and healthcare. That's probably, I think, the source of it is my, my upbringing. I was born in southeast part of Turkey. And growing up, it was a very rural area, kind of in the mountains. The two things that you would probably be most looking for is education and healthcare, because most teachers would not want to go work there. So we had only one teacher for the entire school. She would literally have to just switch between classes. Similarly, healthcare was similarly inaccessible. So very rarely we would have a kind of position available in that region. So that obviously caused a lot of people to die because of the lack of healthcare access. So I was fortunate enough to be able to get out of there. So I but had this thought that there's so much talent everywhere in the world. It's actually fairly uniformly distributed, but the access points opportunities are fairly unevenly distributed. So growing up from that region and be getting lucky and finding myself in a position where I can do things like starting companies, I knew that I wanted to do things in education and healthcare space. So I started two companies, as you know, So, and their mission is actually very similar. So my mission at Udemy was making world-class education accessible to everyone. And that was a situation where we knew that we can completely virtually educate people. So my basic idea was eventually when people learn something, it will almost always will be online. And I know that online education does not completely level the playing field, but at least it gives an opportunity for people who are behind to catch up, which is what happened for me. I caught up because my older sister was going to college and we bought, my parents bought her a computer. And over the summer, I found access to a bunch of mathematics resources and just start teaching myself mathematics from those channels. I ended up winning gold medal in internet, uh, Tokyo's nation, Metal Olympiads, and that really kind of triggered the change that kind of brought me here. So I think similarly, we thought if somebody can learn a basic skill and if you make that accessible to most people, all of a sudden, it might actually trigger a series of changes to kind of get that person to, a, to the career that uh, she deserves. And in 2016, I, I mean, Udemy was going really well, so we, I decided to tackle my second passion, which was healthcare. Uh, but, it, but this time, it was, it was a very different situation because in healthcare, you, you need a physical access point, you need clinics. It's a little more complicated as a business. So after a couple of iterations, we realized to really provide a very high-quality care at a lower enough cost so that everybody can afford, we had to bring down the operational costs to a minimum. So that meant we have to optimize every single aspect of care delivery. So we decided to just own the clinics, the entire technology stack, the people, everything like together so that things can be done in a very efficient manner. And that's what we really have nailed. We 
we have nailed the formula and operating system so that a very high quality care can be provided at a fairly low cost so that this type of access point can be, can be available, affordable to the entire population. That's incredible. And I'm curious, pre-COVID, what were some of the innovations you all had made to be able to, to lower the operational cost of providing primary care? I think the, the central innovation was approaching care delivery from first principles. So before we even knew exactly how things would work and where we would get some savings, we opened a small clinic physically inside the office uh, where engineers, designers, doctors were like literally working next to each other. So you could actually see patients coming in and out. And I, I made it forbidden to even look at third-party healthcare software. So you literally, you couldn't look at a EHR or some practice management somebody else made because I knew that they were extremely inefficient. And, we, if, and because this is a complicated problem, we would actually be tempted to bring their historical baggage to our system. So I made it forbidden. That, to me, that was the biggest innovation. So and we approached everything from onboarding the patients, scheduling from the ground up, and the two high-level guidelines was, in the patient side, it was obvious to us that patients want to do pretty much everything from their phone, right? So people want to sign up from their phone, schedule their appointments, look at their medical records, get their care plan. That's the device that you always have next to you. So we, we made it extremely mobile app-centric. And also we removed all the administrative layers. So there's really no administrative work a kind of customer support person has to do deal with. You just... Download the application, onboard yourself, book an appointment, and you show up in the clinic and see the doctor. There's no other, you're not filling out forms, you're not just like calling people's schedule. So you just automated everything that can be automated on the patient side. And on the provider side, uh, the guideline was the doctors should not be spending even a second of their time in a piece of work, which is not hard for medical decision making. So all of the billing work, all of the um, billing your prescription in a pharmacy for us is just redundant work for doctors. So we automated as much as we could, and we use a lot of AI to also streamline the work they have to do, which is decision-making, but it's relatively straightforward decision-making. A patient comes in, and we collect most of the information ahead of the time, so doctors don't have to spend time, waste time asking those questions, also like entering the results of the system, automate all of those. Even when we have the data, then we can even predict what kind of orders, diagnostic orders doctors will be making. So we do some of these orders ahead of the time, we get the, the, the results. So then by the time the doctor is in the room with you, we have even the preliminary diagnostic results. So it is not just one small thing. It's just really looking at every single thing from the perspective of how could this be the most efficient, the most friendly that function could ever be. And we just attacked everything from, I mean, even as simple as deciding how long each appointment should be. So that a 65-year-old man with four chronic conditions and 20-year-old woman who just needs a five-minute visit, they don't have to be booked for the same length appointment. So these are small things like here and there, but like collectively, they make a massive difference in the efficiency of the whole, whole system. That's really fascinating. And as you were talking about starting from first principles and looking at every single piece of the operation and where you can gain the inches, it reminds me of Elon Musk, you know, in order to make space travel 10x cheaper you know he he obviously started from the ground up from first principles and instead of bringing in you know a third party radio system it was just ground up production and going into covid i would love to hear like i know this is how we got reconnected is about covid education this year but what are some of the the major changes that both carbon and udemy have had to make or seen as a result of covid sure in february early february our system that 
collects information ahead of time, it actually flagged people coming directly from Wuhan, China to our clinics. So we were actually aware that the problem is already in our doorsteps. And we started remotely monitoring, remotely monitoring patients because there was no accessible to our testing. And one of those patients that we were monitoring ended up in ER. And then I think he tested positive in the ER and he was recognized as the first community spread patient because he did not have any travel history or non-contact. So I think that we were aware of this problem probably earlier in the sense that we just knew it's going to be a massive problem. So we pivoted the entire resources, roadmap, everything in March to fighting COVID because it was obvious to us that this would dominate the healthcare delivery space in the near term. But I think there are a couple of the things, I mean, we, we've, we've maybe done 10 things which were the first in the country in this response. So I, I'm not going to spend time going through all of them, but we attacked this problem both from the technology side and also the services side. So in the technology side, we built the largest database of all testing centers. So we built a map so that everybody can find testing locations around the country. And then I think even more importantly, we, we had tested 300,000 people. So we published the first largest scale open clinical data set for COVID. So for all these patients who got tested, we have published there. So a lot of researchers have been using our data feed to model the risk factors. And it, it is the only kind of large scale public database. And it's actually not easy to like do things like this because you have to preserve the privacy of individuals, but still maintain the quality of the data. So these were some of the kind of investments in the technology side and the services side. So the three things that we prioritized as one, access points for testing. So it was kind of very clear. We were not even remotely close to the access points. So we wanted to do all we can. We attacked this problem from like testing people at our clinics. We also built pop-up clinics that I would love to talk more about. They're very innovative models. We built the first mobile testing center, which went to underserved communities. And we built an on-site testing force, which went to places like nursing homes or other high-risk employers and test everybody routinely. So we, we did all of these things and we lost it. We kind of partnered with the local governments like San Francisco City, Los Angeles County, and we have some state partnerships like Hawaii and Arizona right now. Actually, a couple more are coming online. So we did all we can do in terms of being an access point. And collectively, I think we were testing roughly 10% of all the people that CVS was testing. And CVS is a company 1,000 times our size, just to kind of compare. So I think we have, we have made substantial contribution to the testing front. But the other things that we were really aware of, the second was companies needed help. They need more comprehensive solutions between education, training, also like checking their symptoms, testing, access points. And lastly, when somebody does test positive, which eventually happens, how to get those, those patients back to their full health. So we build programs around this kind of comprehensive program. I think the... It has been essentially five to 10 different initiatives at the same time, but that was a result of the fact that we just decided to put all of our resources into this problem in the near term. That's a pretty incredible how many things you all you all did. Can you give a, a sense of your the size and scope of Carbon Health at this point? Like how many clinics, how many employees, how many patients do you see? We'd love to hear for our audience a bit more about Carbon and your scope. Last year, in like summer of last year, I think we had seven clinics. Right now, we have 31. Those, that's just the physical locations. And I think we started the year with 100 people, 100, maybe 130 people total between clinics and the headquarters. We should be around 750, 7 range right now. We are hoping to hire another 1,000 people in the next three to four months. So this is because, I mean, between the clinics, 
on-site task forces. We have partnership with airlines, sports teams, a lot of movie studios and things like that. So things have been kind of growing really, really fast there. But as you kind of highlighted, the reason we capture such a large market share in this process is because the government had set up the CARES Act that set up the, the budget for how much they are willing to pay for the services. And most organizations cannot operate under those cost structures. So that's why they have to pay charge out of pockets. Yeah, so those things make it so that like they can only capture some maybe premium segment of the customer. Because of all this automation, we were able to do things at the frequency, at the efficiency that nobody else could do. So that's why, I mean, we are fully, but like our only bottleneck is how much like work can we do? How many people can we hire? Overall, as a business also, we are growing around 800% this year. And I think it looks like next year is going to be a comparable growth process. It has, it is, it's been big. And uh, for me, the weird thing is, I didn't think this, is, this was going to be go like this because I, we were just assuming COVID means people don't want to come to clinics and everything. So we were expecting a tough year for our, ourselves. But in the same time, we decided that if there is a health problem that is devastating the country, we just cannot sit behind and try to just save save costs and just protect ourselves. Like we have a job to do in this process. And first couple months, it was a bunch of things we were doing, which are all extremely helpful for the community, but not does not really have commercial value to us, right? So we did these things out of just the thought that this is needed. But then all of a sudden we realized like eventually these things could be scaled and there was budget for it as long as you have to be you can be efficient. What are some of the, the lasting changes you think COVID will have, not only on, on carbon, but also the U.S. healthcare system? And where do you see carbon in, in five years now that we've, you've had this 800% growth here? When you close your eyes and think about 2025, where do you see carbon playing? So I, I think the biggest change that we'll see is the concept that we call omnichannel care. In the past, each care provider was either a clinic-based company or maybe a telemedicine company. So they had their options and the patients had to meet the provider where the provider operates. I think now it's going to flip. So the providers will have to meet the patients where they, they need help. Whether this is virtual, clinics, maybe on-site their employers. And the reality is patients don't want to have 10 different providers or 10 different modalities. They want the same provider to be accessible everywhere. And the reason I think this is a permanent change is because, especially when the quarantine, before quarantine first started, I think 60% of all visits became telemedicine-based. So which meant every single provider in this country, from the dermatologists to neurologists to even, even like a lot of mental health professionals who had never done telemedicine, had to start doing telemedicine at this to start. And now what they're realizing is it actually works quite often. Like if for certain specialties, it might work 70% of the time, but sometimes it's going to work 20% of the time. But they all realize that there is, there's room for telemedicine to be, to be a part of their normal care process. So I think going forward, most providers will be duly available and this essentially they will be more flexible about what healthcare means. Because whether it's a video call, clinic visit, like they're all care, like care is care. I'm guessing eventually we'll even consider asynchronous forms of getting care, also care. So they're not really considered care today, but I think that that is going to change too. So that omnichannel care concept is very, I, I think, going to be very big. And one model that we invented in this process is, so we realized that in primary care, among primary care services, the percentage that can, can be done fully virtually is probably 20, 25%. I keep hearing people like quoting 80%, 70% numbers. It's just, those are wrong. What we realized because of COVID is a lot of the time, 
what you need the person, the patient in person is, not the doctor. It is actually more diagnostic things or maybe some medication administration. So it's all the things that the nursing staff does. So observing this, we kind of created this new model to where we have actual like containers or sometimes maybe trailers where the nursing staff, like medical assistant is available in person, but the, the clinicians are available over the video. This way we can share one full-time clinician among multiple access points, but the access points can still do things like lab testing to the COVID testing. Maybe if they need to administer a vaccine, they can still do all those other things that doctor might need. So these modalities actually have, have been like ridiculously successful. Patients love it because it's even faster than their normal clinic visit. This is extremely strong, extremely effective labor utilization because the biggest cost of any healthcare delivery source typically is the doctor. So when you can share this cost across multiple locations and then you can utilize them better and you can also arbitrage things better. So I think this has been a great innovation. Again, interestingly, we've been the first ones to really do this on scale, but this is definitely, I think, here to stay. That is fascinating. I actually didn't know you guys were doing that, but I totally agree that scope of practice is changing and, and what primary care doctors are doing more and what NPs are doing more RNs and MAs and PAs are doing. So super, super fascinating. I'm excited to see where that goes. I know we're coming up in time. So I guess my last two questions, one is, you know, we have an audience at osmosis of, you know, millions of current and future healthcare professionals, many of whom carbon may eventually employ, right? Especially the way you guys are scaling. What advice would you give to someone considering a career in healthcare right now? And and what's your pitch to them to, to join carbon? So in five years, Carbon, at Carbon, we are planning to have 1,500 locations across the country. We'll probably be in 50 or 60 different cities at that point, maybe even more. So, so we are growing very, very fast. And I think the reason, in the last one year especially, we had 98% acceptance rates in our offers because Carbon's whole mission is about making great care accessible to the entire population. So we build this company from the ground up to create, create more healthcare equitability. So to increase access points, to kind of level the playing field a little bit. So at the, and what we have seen is that the, the, the nurse practitioners, physician assistants, physicians, all of them like nurses, medical assistants, they all really appreciate the way that when we talk about our mission, we actually mean it. Like we actually go to these locations where we believe healthcare should be going to. And the innovations like pop-up clinics, they're not coming out of nowhere. They're coming out of the necessity that in a rural area, it's not easy to put a full-time clinician. But this pop-up clinics, for example, is the gap that bridges this problem. So I think if they want to be a part of creating more healthcare equity in this country, like carbon health is going to become the place they, they will love working. And also on the other side, we are a hardcore technology company. We care about optimizing every step of the things that they do so that they don't have to waste time in less valuable tasks. And we are not, I'm not saying we are perfect like on, on that front, but like every day we are trying to improve our platform so their time can be used to help patients instead of just pushing paperwork. That's fascinating. I mean, again, I think knowing a lot of physicians and training a lot of them, that would be very welcome to, to join and basically arbitrage their time better. Is there anything else that you'd like to share with our audience before we let you go for the day? I think probably covered uh, most things, but as I mentioned, I think the, our whole company is, is really a team of physicians, other healthcare professionals, designers, engineers coming together. So 
we don't have all the answers, but we'd love to get figured out with, with people who join us. Awesome. Well, I encourage all of our audience members to check out Carbon and learn more because the way Aaron is growing the company, there's a good chance you may be applying to work at one of their clinics. So Aaron, thanks so much for taking the time to be with us today and all the work that you do at both Udemy and Carbon. Sure, thank you very much. This was a great conversation. Awesome. And with that, I'm Shiv Uglani. Thank you to our audience for checking out today's show. And remember to do your part to flatten the curve and raise the line since we're all in this together. Take care. For more information on how you can help raise the line and flatten the curve, go to osmosis.org slash COVID-19. If you like this podcast, please share it on your social channels. You can also subscribe to the series and check out all of our podcasts at osmosis.org slash raise the line podcast.